Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a thumbs up for the Technology Modernization Fund from one of its creators. I really think this is in keeping with the TMF board's stated intent to apply funds to projects that enhance security and citizen services and also have a government-wide view. The collaboration problems at the Pentagon. The Army and Navy Air Force have no collaboration going on on cloud and, and DevSecOps ready. So effectively, we are competing among each other and we're forgetting who we should be competing against. And the Defense Department's secrets may not be secrets to our adversaries. China is already aware of everything I'm talking about here. There's nothing that they don't know. It's Thursday, October 14th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The latest edition of the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey will hit inboxes across government soon. The Office of Personnel Management says the first batch will go out November 1st. The director of OPM, Kieran Ahuja, writes to agency chief human capital officers, the core questions will stay the same this year as last year's survey. The Justice Department says whistleblowers will help it make cases against contractors that don't reveal cyber breaches. Assistant Attorney General Brian Boynton says whistleblowers are already important to other False Claims Act cases. Justice Department announced last week it would use the False Claims Act to pursue contractors that don't disclose breaches. Citizenship and Immigration Services will work toward broader data sharing agreements with its partner agencies. Dave Nitsch appears writing about that on fedscoop.com. Dave, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What is at the core of what CIS wants to do regarding data sharing? Welcome. Well, basically, uh, these agreements are going to really enable them to to link data sets uh, and create new models that are far more advanced than what they have currently. They're trying to link all sorts of biometrics data down the line. Uh, they have a lot of issues to address before they can do that. But uh, the first step is getting this data from partner agencies and making sure that groups within USCIS all have access to this data for different uses rather than the limited ones that decades-old agreements don't really allow for. You have a quote in your article on fedscoop.com from the chief director of USCIS's data analytics division. There are too many MOUs out there that say only this system can talk to explicitly only this system. What problem is that creating for CIS? Yeah, basically, this would be beneficial to all partner agencies. Uh, State Department might collect a marriage certificate from a person long before they try and immigrate. CBP might meet a person at the border and and get uh, an image of them uh, through a camera. This is all stuff that can be used to generate a digital identity and verify that identity down the line when USCIS wants to use it. We have more about that at fedscoop.com. A quick fact check before you go. What was the final score in the Caps-Rangers game last night? I think I missed it. I I believe it was 5-1. Tough loss for my Rangers. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, it was (laughs) 5-1. And what happened between uh, Ryan Reeves and anybody on the Caps, including Tom Wilson? I think... According to Larry Brooks, uh, Ryan Reeves was on the ice with Tom Wilson for nine seconds last night. (laughs) Yeah, so that didn't really turn out either. Okay, well, thanks for the clarification there. I appreciate it. Dave Nitschpeer, thanks very much. You're a good sport. Have a good one. I don't think we have any Caps Rangers stuff in the show notes today, but you can read more about... Dave's story and many others at fedscoop.com. Leading government cyber experts like the chairman of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, Senator Gary Peters, will join me at Palo Alto's Public Sector Ignite Virtual Conference. 
It's happening Thursday, November 18th, and I hope you'll join me too. You'll learn about key cybersecurity issues impacting agencies, including zero trust, endpoint detection and response, and secure remote access. You can sign up now at ignite.paloaltonetworks.com. At least four of the seven new projects the Technology Modernization Fund will support have cyber elements. Three are focused on zero trust. Margie Graves is senior fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government and chair of the Industry Advisory Council. She's former deputy chief information officer of the United States. Margie, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What's the significance in your mind that there's so much cyber activity in the big awards that are coming out of the TMF? Welcome. Thank you, Francis, for having me on. I, I really think this is in keeping with the TMF board's stated intent to apply funds to projects that enhance security and citizen services and also have a government-wide view. If you look at the awards, uh, there is a huge em emphasis on zero trust and implementing zero trust. And it's not only implementing zero trust, it's implementing it in those agencies that have a government-wide view. So when you look at GSA, uh, they always have a government-wide mission. A lot of money is going to be going to login.gov, which is identity management, and setting that up for success, which is a centerpiece of how you actually implement uh, zero trust architecture. And also there are um, upgrades to max.gov, which is the uh, collaboration space that is used for um, agencies to communicate with GSA on the budget and other uh, acquisition elements. So all of that has a government-wide view. Uh, it emphasizes the cybersecurity part of the equation. If you look at um, some of the others, education, uh, they have a, a massive mission to support student aid and loan recipients. And that needs to be protected. It's got all kinds of, um, of personally identifiable information in it and uh, needs to be front and center in terms of uh, cybersecurity protection. And OPM, uh, they have a government-wide mission to protect government employees' data and also to uh, run the retirement system, run the recruiting system, all of the things that are um, important to a true HR function for the federal government. And finally, for uh, DHS, integration with their systems and the Southwest border processing of non-citizens uh, is, is really a key element of the Biden agenda right now because of the surge that we see at the border. And our ability to be able to process those individuals effectively is really uh, key. You and many other experts have taught me over the years to follow the money. I noticed that the total amount that the board awarded in this tranche was about 300, a little bit more than $300 million. And that means they still have about two thirds of the money from the American Rescue Plan available to award. What can we learn from the seven awards that they just gave about what the other awards might look like, both in total amount of money, uh, the individual amounts of money per, uh, per project, like what kinds of projects size-wise are they looking at? That kind of thing, Margie. Well, to me, uh, if I'm right, reading the tea leaves here, it looks like uh, they're taking a portfolio view. They're taking a, a specific topic that we need to tackle as a government, and they're doubling down on it. So in this particular instance, it happens to be cybersecurity and with an emphasis on zero trust. 
but I would expect another tranche uh, might come out in the area of um, citizen engagement and citizen experience. So there might be some others that come out down the road, but taking this portfolio view, it means that combined together, these particular projects that have been awarded uh, give a huge uplift to cybersecurity in general. And when you include the fact that, um, that CISA uh, is getting a lot of, of support, not only from the TMF, but also from uh, all of the um, legislation that's been passed recently, uh, that also takes a government-wide view of protecting our ecosystem. So I would expect to see that theme continue, that the next tranche would also have uh, a theme and that theme would be, uh, if you look at the combined awards, that would give a bigger uplift than just one-offs. I wonder why I'm stuck on the numbers like I am, Margie. You mentioned the uh, login.gov project, and that's the biggest that the TMF has ever awarded, $187 million for login.gov. One of the things that I think was exciting to a, a lot of people about the fact that the the fund got a billion dollars from the American Rescue Plan was the ability to do those bigger projects. That one project was more than the whole fund ever had uh, until the American Rescue Plan. Is that something you expect to see more of, big projects like that, especially if they are, uh, are an enterprise-wide, a government-wide approach? Yes, I would absolutely expect that. And it makes perfect sense because if we solve uh, for the identity management issue and we do that on a government-wide basis, then that's a use case and a proof point that can be leveraged across the entirety of our, of our uh, citizen services. So if we want to create personas for individuals, if we want to, uh, for them to be able to use uh, government services in an effective manner to where they uh, can have one identity. Uh, if those are the kinds of things that we want to tackle with login.gov, then uh, all of a sudden you're opening up the aperture for improvement of a number of things across the board, including citizen services. All right. Um, we will track those and I'll look forward to having you come back on the program as we see more awards and help us understand what they mean and what they might foretell for the next batch but I'm really excited about the fact that I'm going to see you and several hundred of my closest friends in person, finally, in a couple of weeks. Um, the uh, ELC is coming back in person. It's in Hershey this year. Terrific location. I love Hershey. Um, what do we have to look forward to? Put your IAC hat on and, and tell me what I can look forward to when we get to Hershey in a couple of weeks. Well, Francis, I'm really so excited that we're going to be holding our first um, in-person event in over a year. Uh, and having it in Hershey actually allows uh, ACT-IAC to return to its roots because that's where we originally held uh, some of the first uh, encounters. Um, I'm looking forward to it primarily because of the content that we put together is directly related to the priorities of the administration, to the priorities of the agencies that are in the middle of implementations of, of, uh, of the priorities. Um, so we're definitely going to be talking about cyber and citizen uh, engagement and uh, citizen services. We're going to be discussing um, key elements of the agenda and just our ability to interact uh, government and industry again uh, is 
is really going to provide, I think, uh, some excitement around the event. Um, we've seen people opening up a little bit more recently. Uh, there were a couple conferences uh, this week, including um, uh, AUSA. Uh, so we're starting to see people get out and our ability to be able to engage in person, uh, I think is going to create a, a buzz around this particular event uh, at ELC. I'm looking forward to it. We've got a lot of, um, of good content, a lot of good speakers, including a keynote on the first night from the CIO of the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, it'll be great. I, uh, I I looked over the agenda. It looks really great. I was at AUSA, and that got me excited to get back out there. And uh, there was definitely a buzz there. There'll be a great buzz in Hershey. You and I talked before we went on. We're too young to remember when it was in Hershey before, but old geezers like Jim Williams and others have, have been there. <laughs> And uh, sure, he'll appreciate that characterization. <laughs> well, you know, if the shoe fits, um, yeah. they they have said how great it was to have it up there. So I'll look forward to seeing you there, Margie. And thanks very much for coming on the program today. Thanks so much, Francis. Always a pleasure. You can find a link to the TMF Awards and more info about ELC 2021 in the show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Zoom for Government sponsors the Daily Scoop podcast today, designed with relevant certifications and ATOs for the federal hybrid workforce. Zoom for Government offers rich and high-reliability audio and video to work through complex issues and build rapport across government with mission partners and engaging the public. Learn more at karasoft.com Zoom. America needs to wake up now before it falls behind in the artificial intelligence war with China. Those words from the former chief software officer of the Air Force have defense officials and others standing up for the efforts the department's making on AI and other technology. Nicholas Cheon is the former chief software officer of the Air Force. Nick, welcome. It's good to have you on the program. I want to go over this piece in the Financial Times because you and others have said that your words maybe weren't represented correctly, and I want to give you a chance to say what you really meant. The headline of this piece that started all this controversy is U.S. has already lost AI fight to China, says ex-Pentagon software chief. First of all, I note that you weren't the Pentagon software chief. You were in the Pentagon, Air Force software chief. Maybe I'm being picky. But did they capture the sentiment that you wanted to express in that headline? Welcome, Nick. Uh, thanks for having me. And, and, and no, they did not, right? I think uh, essentially what I said was that if we do not wake up now, and I mean now right away, uh, even if we if we implement the plan we have um, designed uh, in AI and cybersecurity, we will not succeed against China. So as it stands and as it is, we will not be winning. That's a big difference. So we have the chance to wake up and, 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 and do this now. So it sounds like we have a plan for combating China in AI. Uh, you said if we implement that plan, we will still be behind. What can you tell me about that plan, and why do you think it's not sufficient to counter what China is going to throw at us? So we have demonstrated that we have some great pockets of, of success in the department during the last three years. We uh, put great innovation on city-old uh, jet fighters with a U-2 and flew the jet with, you know, air, air over-the-air updates so we can actually get uh, uh, software to be updated at the pace of relevance. Uh, which is essential for AI, right? AI effectively learns based on more data and the more you can update it and the faster you can accelerate that pace of delivery of software 
the faster you can become more efficient and your AI gets better and better with time, which is why I say, you know, if, if we do not do this now, it's going to be impossible to catch up because it's going to be so far advanced, it's going to keep evolving and improving and you just can't get there uh, anytime soon. Uh, what we can do to address it is to stop overclassifying all this information and the threat that China poses to our democracy, quite honestly, and the lives of our kids and grandkids, uh, where um, co U.S. companies are leading in AI, but they're not willing to partner with the U.S. Uh, DoD. And so if we were to uh, show them the threats and if they could understand really what's going on, I truly believe that most Americans would stand up and want to join the fight. This piece in Financial Times, uh, referring to the companies that you just talked about, uh, says he also blamed the reluctance of Google to work with the U.S. Defense Department on AI and extensive debates over AI ethics for slowing the U.S. down. By contrast, he said Chinese companies are obliged to work with Beijing and were making massive investment into AI without regard to ethics. The ethics piece is a very key part of what the United States says it stands for. How do we do uh, artificial intelligence with an ethical approach while still maintaining the pace that we need to keep pace with China, Nick? And of course, ethics is essential, right? I think my issue here is that I see people in charge of AI in the department um, so focused on ethics that they're not spending any time and money on actual weapon systems. So there's a balance, right? You cannot just invest in ethics. I would argue many of these people actually do not want uh, to empower any of our weapons with any AI capability. That will uh, be a recipe for disaster. There is no chance we'll be able to compete against China. We've seen even recently, uh, you know, dogfights between fighters where uh, in a DARPA event, you know, we put uh, AI capabilities on a jet and uh, fighting against, you know, uh, the best U.S. pilots. And every single time the pilot was defeated with no chance of winning, uh, that changes um, the way we, we think about the next battles, the next wars. And so if, we, if we're so far behind that we don't uh, even bother to try to implement this, these capabilities into our weapon systems, uh, we just have no chance of, for, for success. So when you spoke a moment ago about the uh, way that an algorithm improves over time and through the shaping that humans do with it, is that the crux of the problem vis-a-vis -vis competition with China because their algorithms will be improving as they develop theirs as well as ours, as us doing that too? They're, they're advancing and we're advancing and, and it sounds like your fear is that they will advance faster than us and surpass us that we can't make that gap up. Am I understanding what the concern is correctly? Yeah, and first of all, you know, we're competing against 1.5 billion people. So data volume also matters, right? So how do you get to keep up when you're already losing just in terms of data collection? So the more data, the more access to data, and they do a great job at, uh, you know, putting data from their commercial entities and citizens. And of course, um, you know, that data can be reused. And even those AI models can be um, reused from the commercial side to be adapted to uh, government use. Uh, you know, a self-driving car, uh, AI capability can be um, reused to then uh, enable the uh, flying uh, of the jets uh, autonomously, right? <clears throat> so really that, that data volume is essential. At the same time, um, you know, we have U.S. companies that are refusing to partner probably because they just don't understand uh, how difficult this is and how important this is and the threat we're facing. Um, 
and the and the DoD is also um, not well designed, as you know, to uh, bring new um, startups and non-DoD uh, related uh, uh, companies to do business with the department. There is a massive barrier to entry, both in terms of classification levels and also uh, uh, contracting. So most companies have no interest to even bother spend you know five, six, seven, eight months to uh, try to get a contract with some luck. Uh, with the department, so so you compounding problems. You you see a lack of urgency. You know the government is very good at funding reports. We just uh, published another uh, report of 750 pages. That you know I wonder who is going to read that on AI. Pretty much telling us we have 10 years uh, before which you know uh, we will have no chance to uh, to win against China. Again, that's short sighted. People don't understand the velocity of delivery. China is doing very well when it comes to continuously deliver value, uh, ad- embracing agile training that people at a very early age, uh, they have a massive footprint in AI in, in, in school very early. Um, so kids are learning all these principles uh, very early. Uh, and so we're already losing in numbers. So we have to be smarter and um, we have to outwit them and we have to really uh, proactively uh, use best of breed capabilities across industry and our NATO partners to have a fighting chance at winning. But quite honestly, uh, in my time at the department, I can tell you we couldn't even figure out uh, basic cloud capabilities, data capabilities. There's uh, so many silos and egos. Um, you see you know, many of these uh, agencies still uh, building stuff in vacuums. The Army, Navy, Air Force have no collaboration going on on cloud and, and DevSecOps ready. Uh, so effectively, uh, we are competing among each other and we're forgetting who we should be competing against. You can find a link to the Financial Times story about Nick in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Hang on a second, Nick. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. On Friday's show, the former acting secretary of the Navy, Thomas Harker, is here on financial management across the Defense Department and all over the federal government. That's Friday's Daily Scoop podcast rolling out Friday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. Okay, more with the former Chief Software Officer of the Air Force, Nick Cheon. Full disclosure here, Nick, about why I'm tracking so closely on this FP article. I've interviewed you a number of times on the air, and we've spoken off the air too. And when I read this piece, I thought that doesn't exactly sound like the guy that I've interviewed. Here's another quote from this article. We have it linked at thedailyscooppodcast.com. He added U.S. cyber defenses in some government departments were at kindergarten level, and the term kindergarten level is in quotes. Uh, is that what you were going for? Is that the sentiment you were going for? And, and if so, what do you mean by that, and, and, and why did you go there? Yeah, so I was comparing actually in that sentence the uh, cyber defense of the U.S. government to the U.S. companies. And so with uh, you know my background being an entrepreneur and working with uh, companies for 20 years before joining the government, I can tell you for a fact that uh, what I see in the government is in terms of defense, not uh, cyber offense, but in terms of cyber defense is effectively uh, at the, I guess we could call it the kindergarten level. Uh, it is uh, certainly not good enough. Uh, we have massive technical debt. I've seen... Uh, the worst of the worst uh, DHS as well when uh, uh, we were looking at uh, critical infrastructure of, of power plants and, and water supply and, and all these critical uh, facilities. Um, you know, we're connect- connecting, connecting all these uh, locations to the internet to be able to remotely manage them, but they are not designed to be. 
there's they just a lot of risk. And we see it again and again with different cyber breaches. There is no understanding of the software supply chain. Uh, you know, again, the, the fact that we let, and OSD really lets um, all of the DoD services, Army, Navy, Air Force, uh, build things in vacuum, uh, even now with zero trust. And you have identity management, you have all these critical capabilities for cybersecurity built in vacuums. And we can't even figure out how to do, you know, email with Office 365 to connect, you know, between the three services. We are um, stuck in time. We don't have a good understanding of, of, of what is going on uh, within the department. We have no ability to, to share, if, uh, you know, efficiently uh, data as well. So uh, when you take a step back and you compare it to a Google, you know, that has some of the most advanced, you know, zero trust capability out there, uh, really at the end of the day, this is, this is really a drastic uh, maturity level of, of, of gap. What changes that? Who has to do what inside the department, Nick, to get that level of cybersecurity proficiency to a, a better level? Well, you know, I've, uh, we're very excited to see uh, people like General Skinner get in charge of DISA. Uh, I've heard in the past several of the DISA leadership say that uh, the department is so big that there is no chance in building an enterprise service that will please the, the DOD. So effectively giving up before even trying to, to build these capabilities and effectively letting all of the DOD services build their own in a vacuum. That's a, a massive mistake. There are things that we should let the duty service do by themselves, but there are things like uh, basic identity management and zero trust and uh, uh, connectivity and cloud. You know, when I see the, the Army CIO build their own cloud and refuse to partner with the Air Force cloud and, and things like that, we have no chance to success. If we don't partner and engage, we don't have enough talent. We need to be able to bring more talent. We need to be able to retain them. We need to get out of the way and empower the lowest ranks that actually know what they're talking about to make this happen. And honestly, we also need to stop putting in charge people that have never done this before. You don't you don't see companies go to people and, and, and randomly rotate uh, people every two, three years and say, oh, you know what, this year you're gonna you're gonna take care of cloud and you're gonna build the, the you know a four million uh, user cloud overnight with no background doing so even for you know uh, a startup. That that just makes no sense. Uh, no one would do that on the commercial side. We're not treating IT as a business, as, as, as a job, as an expertise. Um, this is not about degree. This is not about, um, you know, backgrounds. It's about ex existing experience, doing things, particularly when you bring this construct into the most siloed and complex and most secure environment in the world. You want to have the best, uh, best talent to, to execute the work. We're, I have so many questions, and we're starting to run out of time, but I want to ask you about this uh, one last passage from this Financial Times piece. A spokesperson for the Department of the Air Force said Frank Kendall, Secretary of the Air Force, had discussed with Cheon his recommendations for the department's future software development following his resignation and thanked him for his contributions. Kendall, thanking you for your contributions. I'm not going to ask you to discuss what you talked about with Secretary Kendall, but what is your level of confidence now that you're outside the department that leadership in your former service is going to think about and take action on some of the things that you've described, Nick? Well, I'm very confident about Secretary, Secretary Kendall. I think he's a, a great leader. Uh, first, the simple fact that he would take the time and reach out to me, most people would not have done that, as you know. 
uh, that demonstrate that he's not all talk. He wants to get this done. Uh, it took the time. Uh, he spent 45 minutes uh, as well with me uh, digging into subjects and priorities. He's um, asked if I would be willing to continue to help him. And I said, yes, as a, you know unpaid uh, advisor, I'll do that if they let me do that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, um, he's willing to make change happen. Uh, but of course, not all of this is something you can fix at the Air Force level. So um, the best model for some of these things I'm talking about at, at, at that kind of scale would be to create joint offices, uh, probably reporting to DevSecDef. So uh, they would be merged across all services. So no one would let their ego get in the way of not partnering and make things happen. So I think with uh, Frank Kendall pushing this, and really understanding the urgency, and he, he knows very well the the the, the threat that, that China uh, poses to our national security, and he's eager to to take action. So I'm very confident something would happen. Now the question is, um, we need to make sure this is not taking three years. Do you think the Jake is a good example for the kind of joint office to do what you just suggested, Nick? Uh, it, it was not good enough, right? First, it was reporting to DoD CIO, so now they're moving into DevSecDef. Um, they, they also, um, the other issue was that there was not really a lot of joint teams. They took a few talent here and there, but it wasn't really embedded with the services. So there was a lot of um, redundant work. Um, there was a lack of uh, urgency of delivering the AIML capabilities there. For the enterprise, you know, they, they took a year and a half to partner with Platform One to, to do this uh, in in six weeks. You know, um, so there's a lot of um, lot of issues of, of attracting talent, and and more importantly, like I told you, I, I've seen a lot of uh, the Jake, uh, at least former uh, leaders, uh, really be way too focused on ethics. Final thought. You stunk up the joint when you posted on LinkedIn originally, and then with this Financial Times interview, if my LinkedIn feed is any indication. In hindsight, glad you did it, sorry you did it, would do it differently another time. What, what are, what's your sense? Now, look, you know, uh, I sold 12 companies before this job. I, I want to do right to our kids and, and the war fighter. I'm here to fight for them, and uh, I think raising awareness and, and having someone that's willing to... Uh, uh, you know, uh, talk about it and, and raise issues. I think the issue with the department was so used to uh, pretending things are um, uh, so secret and, and operational security is is so important when really China is already aware of everything I'm talking about here. There's nothing that they don't know. That's just a lie. Uh, that's vastly under, underestimating what China knows and, and can do. Uh, so all these is a lie to effectively just prevent uh, people to be held accountable when we fail. And so by keeping things in the family, I, I've done that for three years. I raised awareness for three years. I was at a point where it was just not good enough. It was not moving fast enough. And I had to do this. And I, I certainly don't regret it. Uh, could have done, I could have probably done a little bit better. But, uh, you know, we, we all learn. We're agile. And I'm going to keep pushing. Nick Shayan, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. You can find a link to the article about Nick in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. 
High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The former chief financial officer and acting secretary of the Navy, Thomas Harker, has a preview of audit season on Friday's show. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening.